0: This morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 9. So what we got to see last Sunday was the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. And it was pretty exciting because we really picked it apart and we looked at the depth of what Jesus did, why he did it, and how Jesus was able to do it. And we did a little illustration as well, just to try to wrap our finite minds around the principles and the properties of an infinite God. Nobody could say, oh, I know everything about God, because how could that be possible? You know, we have limited understanding. And really, you know, it necessitates a response. You see the glory of God, you know who Jesus is, you know what he came to do, he came to die for our sins. What do we do in response to that? You know, we're we we're at a crossroads in life and we're faced with the truth of Jesus Christ that not only was he a historical figure, that's already been established through history and secular sources, but we also established that he is the son of God. And as many over the centuries try to eradicate Christian, Christianity, the more they did, the more it grew. We really have to think about our brothers and sisters in northern Iraq who really are being put to the test. We may get teased at school or we may get mocked at work or whatever the case may be, but they are really literally, they could just say, listen, I convert to whatever you want me to convert to, spare me and my family, but they can't do it. I've watched some interviews of Christian leaders and stuff. It's really powerful. Uh, So today we're going to look at a a difficulty that the disciples have, actually. So you got the the Transfiguration, the Mount of Transfiguration. It's It's a mountaintop experience, and we have those, don't we? really good times with the lord really times of joy and then we you know this is life sometimes we have valley experiences and this is what the disciples were literally experiencing the nine who didn't go up the mountain and who were trying to cast out a demon-possessed young man and they were having great difficulty with that and i'm also going to throw in actually uh, we're actually going to start mark chapter 8 starting with verse 22 because of time's sake, I didn't actually finish that. So we're gonna, and you're going to see how they kind of tie in anyway. So let's go to Mark 8, starting with verse 22. It says, Then he, Jesus, came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. And he sent them away to his house saying, neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. It's an unusual miracle. You know, Jesus takes this guy out of the town. I mean, how long of a walk was it? Who knows? So he takes him on this path out of the town. He spits spits in his eyes. very unusual and the guy doesn't get healed right away so the whole thing together really you know begs the question you know what's going on here what happened here so the first thing he does is he leads the man out of the town now we see in Matthew 11 and other scriptures that that the Lord judged Bethsaida and other towns for their disbelief so he didn't do a lot of miracles there because of their disbelief so possible that he led him out of the town for that reason He really had compassion on the man, but he wasn't going to be a sideshow for the people of Bethsaida because they had very little faith to begin with. But I wonder what the conversation was like. You know, here's a blind man, and Jesus has got him by the hand, and he's leading him out of the town. Probably needed help a lot, and Jesus now takes his hand, and it's just the two of them. It's not recorded in Scripture. What What do they talk about? We don't know. But i got to tell you something, folks. We can also have those personal experiences with the Lord. Amen? Right? Those, oh, everybody's awake this morning. That is awesome. But it's true. You know, we can have those personal, hand-to-hand, Him leading us type of conversations. And that's really beautiful. When you get to know the Lord, especially for all the new believers here, as you start growing in your faith, you get to have a relationship with the one who created everything that we see and who's going to make everything right in the end. So these private conversations... So he spits on the man's eyes, and the man doesn't get healed right away. He says, I see men, they're walking like trees. Well, maybe we could say it wasn't congenital, it wasn't from birth, because he he understood the forms, he just couldn't see very clearly. Well, why did he do this? Why did it not work? Some would say, and I've actually read some good Bible scholars who believe that, well, Jesus was fighting against the Bethsaida curse. I don't buy that. All right, you see some head shaking. No, well, you agree with me because Jesus never had a problem doing a miracle. So I just think that the question is asked in the wrong way. And we do that sometimes. And we let other people ask us questions in the wrong way. It's a faulty premise, not why didn't it work, but why did Jesus do it this particular way? That's the proper question to ask. Be careful of those asking you faulty premise-laced questions. Right? If somebody said to me, Pastor Joe, yes or no question, did you stop beating your wife? If I say yes, that means that I used to, and I never did. Those of you who know my wife know she wouldn't stand for that. <laughs> or if I said um, no, then that would mean I'm still doing it. So it's a faulty premise. You, know, you, can't, you can't do that. And, and I'll tell you this, some questions come at me from people who are antagonistic, and I'm like, you're asking the question wrong. Here, let me answer it this way, because your, your premise is all wrong. Well, I'm going to fall back on one or two things. The second one I like more. Number one is the Lord was meeting the man where he was at. And we see this a lot. Maybe it would have been a shock to him. Maybe he had an anxiety condition. People have anxiety today. Maybe the guy had anxiety back then. I don't know. This is just conjecture. I can't help it. Sometimes my other profession bleeds into the sermons. But for those who have been in criminology, kidnapping victims, or those that have been held in dark places for a long time, See, we go out there today, and we, it's supposed to be 88, 88 degrees and sunny. We love it. But somebody who's been in that type of condition, to them, it's a shock to the system. It's not as lovely as we think it is. So maybe this man had to get acclimated because he was in darkness for so long, so the Lord did it gradually. Again, it's just conjecture. I don't have the answer. But I'll tell you what, what I do know is that this is illustrative of a spiritual parallel. So what does he do, right? The man meets Jesus. And we meet Jesus. This morning, for those of you who don't know the word, you're meeting Jesus through the scripture, right? Never heard this before. Pastor Joe, I went to church for 20 years. Never, they never really opened the Bible. Well, that's a shame. They ripped you off. Because we meet Jesus through the word, through an evangelist, through, you know, in Iran, they won't let Jesus into that country. But there's Iranians who are receiving visions of Jesus as this God that they never met. And they're becoming Christians. Believe it or not, there's a church underground, albeit in Iran. So we meet Jesus on our our walk of life and we run into a crossroads. We can't keep going straight. We have to make a choice to follow the Lord or to reject the Lord. Those are the two choices. The second thing he does is he leads the man out of the town. Okay, there was a problem with that town. The town was judged for its faithlessness. And we can see that in the world that we live in. And this is the beautiful thing. When we meet Jesus, what does he try to do? He takes us by the hand. He's a personal God. And he leads us out of the world. Amen? Bethsaida was a picture of the world. Sadly enough, some Christians fight to stay back in the world. But Jesus wants us out of the world because he knows it's better for us. That's part of the sanctification process. And he spits on the man's eyes. Now, you might say, ew. But if you were blind and that was the way that you could see, I'm sure you'd be fine with it. And what is the problem spiritually that we have prior to us meeting Jesus, we're blind, not physically, but we're blind spiritually. And that's the organ that he needs to fix so that we could see things the way they are. When we become Christians, we start reading God's word. Things make sense now. The, the wars make sense the, where the countries are leading up to makes sense. This ushering in of this charismatic leader who's going to stop all the wars and everybody's going to worship this guy. That all makes sense now because the scripture is telling us clearly that all the events are leading up to it and that he needed to touch the man multiple times when you become a christian you don't just get touched by jesus come up to the front receive the lord and that's the end of it this is an ongoing process this is a relationship how do we get better by constantly being touched by the lord and he offers that amen right so like this man like this man there's there's a vagueness there's a blurriness but, it, but the continual touch of the Lord makes things clear, and it does for us as well. And it's up to us whether we want to follow him or not, whether we want to devote ourselves as Christians to him or be, kind of put our foot in both worlds. Now, some have said to me, Pastor Joe, you seem to know a lot about the word, and I wish I could, and I usually stop them. See, because I remember when I just came to the faith, I knew nothing. I was calling friends at 11 o'clock at night. What does this parable mean? What is he talking about there? What, you know, just constantly badgering my friends and my pastors. God bless them. They were very patient with me because I wanted to know more. And what happens is I can never take credit for this because I still remember those days. And I still, I, you know what the difference is? That we want to be used. You know, anybody here who comes up here, we're not special people. We just have a desire. It starts in the heart. So, I just want to let you know that if any of you are interested in that, if that desire starts, because that's where it has to start, God will meet you where you're at. Just like he met this man where he was at, he will also meet us where we at, where we're at, wherever it is if it's something that we want. Now, let's go to Mark chapter 9, starting with verse 14. It says, and when he, Jesus, came to the disciples, remember he's coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration with the three to meet the other nine, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing, these are religious leaders, scribes, they're disputing with the disciples. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one from the multitude answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son, who has a mute spirit. And wherever he seizes him, he throws him down, he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples but they should, that they should cast him out, but they could not. This is, again, this is the valley experience, especially that the nine are struggling. You know, Jesus was up with the three, and he comes down, and these guys are really floundering. They're really having a difficult time. And you have this dad who comes to Jesus... We don't really know how old this guy was who who had the demon who was possessing him but we could probably say he was either a late teen or maybe a young adult because the father does reference when he was a child all right so this might have been a condition for some time but the beauty of the dad was he was an intercessor you know when we struggle in life even for unbelievers that maybe we know and we love uh you know it's always great to have an intercessor Somebody who doesn't just pray, oh, Lord, me, 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 here's my Santa Claus list. But basically, they intercede for others. That's a sign of Christian maturity. And we start looking at other situations. And we should be definitely, I keep saying this, praying for the persecuted church because we will spend eternity with them. So dad's an intercessor. And I'm going to look at seven D's here just to make it easier to grasp. So the first one that we see is a dispute arising from a dilemma. Dispute from a dilemma. So here's a melee developing, and it's not pretty. You've got a demon-possessed man. you got his dad. you got nine disciples, religious leaders, and a crowd forming. I don't know about you, and maybe I'm guilty of a little eisegesis here, but I see that the compassion for the man is lost. See, one thing that we learn with Jesus Christ is he always had compassion. The disciples are now struggling right? They're starting to, there's a, an, an argument with the religious leaders. There's, hey, you know, crowd gathers, right? There's a fight, a fight. Everybody runs to see the fight. I don't think they were fist fighting, but there was obviously this problem that was developing. And I believe that this man now becomes a hypothetical. He's becoming a test case, a guinea pig, right? And the truth is being lost here. And I think we have to be very careful in ministry. You know, those of us that are in ministry, do ministry, that we don't see people like that that they're not numbers to fill our church, that they're not wallets, that they're not just um, hypotheticals, that it's personal. I've actually talked to a few believers who have come back from Christian schools, universities, and they've been disappointed because they had a heart for people. And they said, you know, in the classroom, we talk about people like they're test cases, And and almost some of these schools are going to a humanistic approach to solve the problem of the dysfunction and make someone functional again. But what they do is they leave out the humanity. Humanistic without humanity. Kind of weird, but it happens. We need to be careful of that. Verse 16, Jesus asked the religious leaders, what are you discussing with them? Or our vernacular, what's the problem? Right? We would hear that. What's the problem? What's going on here? I learned very early in law enforcement a little phrase called facts, before acts, before jumping into a situation, unless it's a life-threatening emergency, get the facts first. I'll tell you what, it works well in ministry as, as well, and a lot of things that we learn that make sense, even in the world, come from biblical principles. However, I think there's more to it than that. See, Jesus, the great leader that he was, that he is, was taking responsibility for his men. What's the problem? I see that you're having a dispute with my, my disciples here. You know, I'm their shepherd. I'm going to take responsibility for them. What's the issue? Let me deal with it. I don't think Jesus got Brooklyn on him. Hey, yo, what's the problem? But I really think that this was the great leadership that Jesus expressed was that he was willing to take responsibility for those under him. That's a good quality. But what was the religious leader's solution? Actually, nothing. You don't see them trying to help. You don't see them offering help. All they know how to do is pick on the ones who are trying to do at least something. And there's so many themes. It's amazing. This was like it was written yesterday or, or down the street. We can relate to this. And, and sadly enough, and these guys are religious men, these scribes, that critical spirit still is in the church today. You ever deal with somebody that they're just always sitting back, they're pointing their fingers? They always want to bring you a problem, but they don't want to be a part of the solution. I love to do that. I say, hey, great. How about you help? Oh, no, 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 no. The Lord told me that you guys have to solve it. I'm just here to bring all these problems to you. You know, I listen more to people that want to be part of the solution. Anybody serving in ministry, they can bring me problems all day long. And I listen to it because they want to be a part of the solution. But these guys didn't. And the poor disciples, they couldn't cast out the demon. There's going to be times that we're ineffective in ministry. It happens. We're not going to... even, Like I said, even in ministry, it was disciples there was mountaintop experiences and valley experiences. We're going to be no different. These guys were in the valley at this point. And what we're going to have to learn to do is give it back to the Lord. Right? We may be powerless because we're trying to do something in our own strength that we need to step out of the way and give it to God. Sometimes a good prayer, and I've done this before, is, you know, I just kind of stop and I'm going to ask my wife, you know, I'll, I'm really praying about something. I'll I leave the house and we have, I have beehives in the back of my property where the wood line is. I don't know why I go to the beehives. They're just so soothing to watch them go in and out and buzz and stuff. And you know, Usually if I keep my distance, they don't come after me. But I go out and I just look for some quiet and, I just, and I'll go to the Lord and I'll be like, all right, Lord, you got my attention. What is it you're trying to show me? I'm struggling, Lord. I'm, I'm floundering. That's an honest prayer. That we just go to the Lord and say, you know what, I don't have all the answers. And you know what, Lord, maybe in this situation I ran ahead of you a little bit, or maybe a little bit more than a little bit, but I'm really willing to to try to figure out where I made that mistake, and I really want you to be a part of the solution with me, because I'm struggling. And the disciples had Jesus physically, right? And they had to go back to him, and they had to have him solve their issue. Verse 19. He answered him, the the man, the father, and said, oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And number two, this is what I call the disappointment. What disappointed the Lord? Lack of faith. What can impede our communion with the Lord today? A lack of faith. It hasn't changed. See, the insult is bound to the object of that faith. And really, when we lack faith, and yeah, you're like, well, the disciples? I never heard this before. Yeah, they were human beings, just like you and I. And that gives us, um, you know, um, encouragement that we could do it as well, if they could do it. it was, this was three, three plus years of training with these guys. And, and some of the lessons, they had to learn more than once. So don't feel bad if that's you, you know, because it happens. But we have to be careful that, We don't, with our actions, say, you know what, Lord, I love you, but this is a big problem, and I'm really thinking this problem's too big for you. Now, most Christians would say, I would never say that. But maybe we say it with our actions. Maybe we don't say it with our words, but we say it with our hands and feet. We say it with our attitude, our behavior, okay? So, disappointment to the Lord, He loved these guys. He died for their sins. Nothing they could do to stop him from dying for their sins or for ours. But he was disappointed at the faithlessness, sometimes through a a whole town, as in Bethsaida, sometimes through individuals. Verse 20. Then they brought him to Jesus, to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. Three, the demonic encounter. The demon knew that his time was short, they're smart. They've been around for thousands of years. They knew that Jesus was was there. He was right around the corner. They had an inkling he was going to do something, right? So they try to inflict as much damage as possible. And I want to encourage you, if you're going through something and maybe it's, you know, this month it's not just financial, not just health, not just relationship-wise, you're like Pastor Joe, it's e all the above. Sometimes when we go through that, you know, the Lord is—he's just right around the corner. He's just gonna—he's gonna come in and just save the day. So the more we get pressed, the more we get thrown around in life, the more we get abused, the more we really got to get into a communion with God. I gotta tell you, when I struggle with anxiety, I panic attack—I could never come up here and look at all you staring at me. I would—I would have run out the door. And the Lord healed me of that. It was—it went on for years. But uh, he was doing something in my life, and I never want to go back there. It was like 1999 at the worst. But, uh, but he was right around the corner, and he was grooming me to be a pastor. And there were some things I had, to, I had to shed like a snake. They just were dead. They had, to, they had to get removed so that I could actually be free again and do according to his will. So that's the blessing. So I just want to encourage you this morning, if you're struggling with that, and you're, maybe you're not, you haven't told anybody, you know, keep that blessing in mind. Verse 21, so he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Number four, the diagnosis. I can't help but um, I'm, I'm looking at not a great parallel, but some parallels. And I'm going to go into this a little bit. And I've talked about this from the pulpit, the the, um, the life history of David Berkowitz, the son of Sam Killer. And he talked about looking back after being delivered in prison. He looked looking back. He goes, "I was possessed," and he knew how he got into it. And he, and he knew that some of the um, situations around him led him into, you know, messing around with like necromancy and things like that, um, you know, seances and and things to incantations and all that kind of jazz. And he was—he was not only did this demonic presence have him kill others, but he was constantly suicidal. So I'm going to—I'm going to break that up a little bit for us. See, demons are still active today. They didn't go anywhere. You know, maybe you've—if you've been a Christian long enough, you've dealt with somebody who seems to something just yeah some head shaking. You've been in ministry long enough, you've seen it. It's kind of freaky. It's kind of scary. Right? They're still around. They still do this kind of stuff. And they try to destroy people. Why? Because God loves us. So they're rebelling against him. You know? They're terrorists. They go after your children. We're God's children. Right? So number one, I can look at this in a few, few ways. The demons are still active. Number one, people come to the cross. They come up to receive Jesus. And we talked about the, um, the parable of the soils, where the seed is constantly thrown, the word of God. Some people receive it and they bear fruit. Others, the birds come, emblematic of the devil, and they pluck the seeds out of the person's heart. But the person allows that to happen. So this happens. Unfortunately and sadly, again, living in both professions, thankfully the other one is sunsetting. I'll be out of that real soon. And we'll talk about it at the end of the year. But, you know, I, I get to see both sides. And I get to see those who maybe emotionally make some type of profession, and they do not, they don't, you know, do you know we call people, um, new believers, we get their phone numbers, because we're so concerned, and if we don't see them, it's not like we're checking up on you, we don't want anything from them, we just, how you doing, is things okay, and we can only go by the numbers we get, some of the numbers, they're disconnected or whatever, but um, people go back into the world, and if they're not plugged in, the last estate is worse than the first, we see that in Matthew 12, and I've seen both sides. Where I've seen some that they they leave the safety of the of the um, of the church and families that are really doing good relation-wise. When they leave, they get divorced. Some leave, they overdose. Some commit suicide. Some get reincarcerated. Okay. And again, I've seen all these examples. Some um, pregnancies out of wedlock. All these things happen when a person is ripped from that protection of the people of God. God established the church for a lot of reasons, and one of them is to protect spiritually the believer and to be in the body of Christ, working all together. The second thing is that you could make a case that the demon was trying to destroy this person literally, okay? And I feel led to say this, suicide, right? We have to cover some hard topics from the pulpit. It's not comfortable, some do it unwittingly through overdose. I've seen a lot of it. The images are still in here. It's, um, it's pretty, pretty powerful stuff to see. Some do it through purposeful taking of their lives. But if there's anybody here who, who toys with those ideas, talk to somebody. Please talk to somebody. Because your loved ones don't want you to die. Your church family certainly doesn't want you to die. God doesn't want you to die. There's only one person that wants you to die and that's satan and he's lying to you and what he often does is gets you alone and he harasses he's a bully he picks you off this just like the the, 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 the lioness is sitting in the high grass you know you ever watch those it's so hard to watch those nature channels and they pick off the stray impala or gazelle or whatever and they, they pounce on him that's what satan does you know when you don't have a counterbalance saying to you no no, no we you're loved you know don't do this you know what you're thinking is not true, and things can get better. When he gets you alone, he just gives you a one-sided line, and that's how he disrupts your life, and some of it ends to suicide. So I would ask you, please, please, I see the aftermath of it. If you're toying with something like that, please talk to somebody. People care about you. Okay. So, this is what we have here. The third thing is, Um, Not really sure, and and this is pure speculation, and I've talked about this before. Uh, It was evident in the son of Sam, David Berkowitz, in his early years, whether through friends or family members, hey, let's do a seance, let's do this. Listen, you open the door to a demon, they're more than happy to come into your life. And they're like bedbugs. Once they come, it's hard to get rid of them. So, you know, I, I question any Christian is maturity when they say, oh, I, I love haunted houses, and I love, and, and they're always talking about dark things. That's weird. You're a Christian. You should want to stay away from that stuff. There's a check, a flag goes up when I hear about believers who call themselves Christians and toy with this kind of stuff. Don't do it, all right? The psychic, the, you know, the, <laughs> I, my wife and I, we go through Heightstown a lot, and I pass Madame So-and-So uh, tarot card readings, I said, you know, I just want to go, uh, go in there and say, listen, I'm not telling you anything. Who am I? <laughs> What's my date of birth? Let's see how good you are. Are you a fraud? You know, just walk in there and see what they know. Uh, you'd be interesting. Some of them know because they are inspired by the evil one. If it didn't come from God, it can only come from one other place. So, well, uh, I haven't done it yet. Um, <laughs> verse 22. The father said to Jesus, check this out. He goes, if, if you can do anything do you realize that he might have been skeptical of jesus if if why did he say that to yell it out why did he say it because of the disciples brothers and sisters this is the beauty of the scripture 2000 years ago i'll give you a perfect analogy or parallel for today when people see us and they don't know jesus we reflect him to them what kind of jesus are we representing when you go out into the world, into your workplace or your peer groups or your, your schools, what, what Jesus do they see? The needy Jesus? The weak Jesus? You know, the impotent Jesus? Or do they see the Jesus of the Bible? Listen, we're not always going to be on our game all the time. I'm not saying that. But basically, as we go through life, what type of Jesus do people see when they see us? Right? When they watch our lives, when they monitor, are we in the world? Are we the worldly Jesus? Well, we the Jesus of the Bible, because we're supposed to reflect his light, right? And, you know, we can only speculate again about the disciples. What was their problem? Well, Jesus does tell us at the end, but did they maybe initially try to, with a little bravado, ah, Jesus is up on the mountain, there's nine of us here, we can take care of this. Maybe they got a little overconfident. We get that way sometimes. Maybe they were kind of bummed out that they weren't invited with James, John, and Peter, and they were a little feckless. They were a little, eh, and, and they were distracted, and they couldn't cast out the demon. Again, Jesus will tell us more detail. 23, Jesus said to him, if you can believe all things are possible, if you can believe, excuse me, comma, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cries out and says with tears, Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief. The fifth point: the development of faith. By the father's own admission, he had some faith, but he knew that he didn't have enough. You know what I love about this dad? Not only that he's a, he, this guy's a class A guy. He's an intercessor. He won't give up on his kid, right? And also, he's just completely honest with Jesus. You know, I, I, something in me is saying that you're the one to go to, but I'm just really weak. I love honesty got to be honest you know and then sometimes that we we fall short and if we really want god will make up the difference he will that's what he's there for to make up the difference he'll supply the balance of what's needed right so it, it's it's a contradiction but not really lord i believe help me with the rest of it i just not all the way there you know i'm not really sure how i feel about this i'm just being honest with you lord this mirrors the slow progression of the blind man's healing in 822-26 that we just covered. It also mirrors the slow progression of a new believer's steady spiritual growth. If you're a new believer, please don't get down on yourself. You've been a believer a few weeks, a few months, and you're already putting yourself down. Well, I'm not like this person. Well, I see that person. Well, at church they raise their hands and close their eyes, and I'm not there yet. So what? just continue don't quit don't give up let the lord strengthen you it doesn't happen overnight any solid christian who's been a christian 10 20 30 years has had a crisis of faith at some point in their life they've had their ups and downs they've taken the steps backwards it happens just want to encourage you with that verse 24 the father cries out with tears matthew's gospel gospel tells us that the man knelt in front of jesus so he's he's in tears He's kneeling. In Luke's gospel, it says that this child was the man's only child. Listen, we love all of our children, but he's only got one, and his kid's really afflicted. Imagine the man's desperation. And unlike the religious leaders and the disciples arguing, the Lord Jesus had compassion on the situation. And he has compassion for you as well, and me. You know? Whatever you're going through right now, whether you're pleading for yourself or whether you're interceding for somebody else. I like to fall back on especially when I'm with my son. I'm like, you know, he loves my son, my wife, this congregation, more than I do. And I just, I got to give it to God. I got to let him, let, him, let him take it away. But he knows your situation. He knows what you're struggling with. He knows what you're going through. He knows this thing that keeps re-irritating you and keeps... Uh, pushing you to a situation where you're ready to give up. He has that compassion. The Word tells us that. That's why the Word is held up so high, is because it tells us the truth. Even when our feelings are betraying us and telling us something else. You know, I'm worthless, I'm this, everybody tells me. And you start to believe these lies. The Word will tell you the truth, that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, In your mother's womb, God put you all together and he figured the whole thing out because he loves you 25 when jesus saw that the people came running together he rebuked the unclean spirit saying to him you deaf and dumb spirit i command you come out of him and enter him no more that's key then the spirit cried out convulsed him greatly and came out of him and he became as one dead so that many said he is dead number six the deliverance how long did it take probably less than a minute. (laughs) I'm just going to guess here. All the drama, all the arguing, all the bickering, all the crowds forming with the the nine disciples and the scribes, and Jesus come out of them, and he comes out of them. When you're in a jam, who are you going to call? Don't say Ghostbusters. (laughs) Call on the name of the Lord Jesus. That's where to go. (laughs) So, you know, this is important as well. He says, don't come... We, we can read the scripture probably a few times and, and miss things he says don't enter him again you know that in matthew uh luke's gospel talks about this too it's so it puts hairs the hairs on the back of your neck stand up when you <clears throat> kind of read this but in matthew 12 43 through 45 it talks about a demon who leaves a person who gets cleaned up sort of and uh Demon eventually comes back to re-inhabit that person and brings seven more more wicked than, than himself. He doesn't want to lose ground again. And, uh, you know, we talked about that with the different towns that Jesus went in, but also individuals. Jesus says, leave and don't come back to this habitation, to him. And we were in the Berean room with the young adults who we were talking about little stuff about <clears throat> what the devil can do and what his minions can do. And God puts boundaries, if God didn't put boundaries, boy, human civilization would have ended a long time ago. He puts boundaries, right? Verse 27 through 29. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. He does that a lot. He takes people by the hand. Just a personal God. You know when somebody holds your hand, or even a stranger, you ever, whether you've done it to somebody and you watch their eyes light up, or somebody has done it to you and they take your hand and they, they say, it's going to be Okay. You know, that's a, it's a very personal thing to have that happen. Jesus is not impersonal. God's not impersonal. 28, and when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast him out? So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. I'm going to turn to Matthew because Matthew records <clears throat> more of the conversation. Matthew 17, verse 20. Jesus says, because of your unbelief or your faithlessness, for surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed and say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So the seventh point is the debriefing. Seventh and last, D, the debriefing. Effective ministry necessitates a few things. Faith and prayer now a lot of us as believers have that however he talks about fasting and i was kind of thinking about it and throwing it back and forth and you know i pray about the messages and like fasting <clears throat> but what could you call that in general terms that's spiritual devotion and discipline sometimes as believers we got the faith thing down we know god can do anything we got the prayer thing down we read the word but we're a little sloppy when it comes to devotion and discipline you want to be effective in ministry? This is the key. This is the key. I certainly don't want to be, you know, sidelined or blindsided by some satanic force and, and I go into it and I'm not prepared like the disciples. You know, and if you want to be effective in ministry, you don't want to be there either. You don't want to run into a situation and go, uh-oh. <laughs> now, don't, let me just explain something. As a believer, the Bible is very clear. As believers, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We cannot be possessed. Anyone who teaches you and they say that it's a ministry, is, is, it's garbage. Who is God weak? He seals us with the Holy Spirit and Satan can chase out the... It's just never happened. Somebody who's truly saved cannot be demon-possessed, but we can be ineffective. Right? So this is really a, an encouragement, a call to arms. Read the battlefield. Read the spiritual battlefield. Do we lack the, the devotion and the discipline? Tell you something, this world is descending into chaos and fast. <clears throat> Those Iraqi Christians, we don't know their faces, we don't know their names, we don't know what their favorite color is, what they like. We will spend the entire eternity with them. Can they count on Calvary Chapel Crossfields to be praying for them on a regular basis? Right? I certainly hope so. The least that we could do, summer's beautiful, you know, golfing, go to this and that and pool and beach and... We, we really need to make an effort. At least we should be disciplined in praying for those, for salvation, number one, and also to be praying for the persecuted church because we will spend a very long time with them, much longer than we've ever spent on this earth. And I talk about this a lot. <clears throat> do we want to be part of the solution or do we want to stay in our Western illusion? That's a, that's a term I coined, our Western illusion. Everything is great here. We can get degrees, we can go on vacations, we can hit a few rounds of golf. We can um, party with our friends. We can make money. We can open our own business. We have the freedom to assemble. I could do this all, all morning long. But it's a Western illusion. We live differently than three quarters of the earth's population. Do we even care? Oh, Pastor Joe, you're cramping my style. You know what I'm saying? I want to go and have a great Sunday morning. Do we want to be effective in ministry? I tell you what, if I was over there, I would really be praying and hoping that there were other Christians lifting me up, that I wouldn't deny my faith when the chopping block comes. Horrible stories about what they're doing to Christian children that I can't even say in detail from the pulpit because I'm not a shock jock, I'm a pastor. But you can, you can figure it out. Right? This is going on in this sick world that we live in. You want to be married to the world? I certainly don't because she's a very ugly bride. And she'll, she'll turn on you and she'll devour you. That's what the world does. We need to be considering our devotion and discipline. Like those disciples, I bet they got it at that point. I bet they remembered that memory and said, Lord, what is it we have to do that we don't end up in this situation again? It starts with devotion to the Lord, it starts with the word, it starts with prayer, it starts with does anybody want to be discipled? Discipleship is good. We go to be Christians for a certain amount of years. Hopefully, we're desiring discipleship to have more poured into us. And those of us who've been Christians 10, 20, 30 years that we want to pour into somebody else, pray about that. Because that's the way it works. That's the way the church grows and becomes effective. So, this wasn't written for no reason. Um, My prayer is that we would take this to heart, especially the last part, and see that all that uh, before could have been avoided had the disciples been faithful. And we can also avoid certain situations about ineffectiveness if we're faithful as well. Let's pray.